I think sometimes when documenting the paranormal, when you really are involved in researching and telling stories around the strange, you can become a little disillusioned. You can begin to construct a container in which can hold the unknowable, some process, anything to help you start making sense or to better contextualize it all. In that way, it all becomes an abstraction until a synchronicity jumps out at you, the universe tempting you to come and play, to follow it back down that rabbit hole. I've shared quite a bit about my own feelings on this process, but what I hadn't considered was the quality of impact to one's psychological state when the abnormal appears right in front of you. That flying disc too clear to be true, that ghost-like visage floating above your bed. Or a character with powers that challenges your beliefs in what is real and what can really be. That's why standing here in Brooklyn, I was so excited to meet Dev in person and witness firsthand what many would call an authentic wizard in both philosophy and presentation. I wanted to experience what seeing him in full garb for the very first time would do to my own version of reality. Would I begin to believe that magic is in front of me? Could I lose my grip, my narrative drifting into fiction? What I did learn while recording Devin's feature, which premiered as the first edition of Euphemet's second season, was that whatever magic is created by bringing the fantastical into reality, this merging of myth and moderna, is not without its own origin. And we learned how a person becomes a wizard while remaining very much a person. No pun intended, Devin person went through his own process of ritual to embody the wizard archetype, a process that challenged his own sense of reality. And on this edition of Obscura, we experience his rites of passage. I'm Jim Perry. This is Obscura, a look back at the stories of Euphemet, this time with ritual. Reality is a democracy. So if you and I are sitting in a room and I'm looking at a piece of paper and I say, that's blue, and you say, that's red, we don't know what color that paper is. It's very weird that you and I can't agree. Maybe you're colorblind, maybe I'm colorblind, maybe the lighting's weird, maybe there's some trick happening, like, I don't know. But then when a third person comes in and says, actually, it's definitely blue, we're now more convinced that it's blue. And you can continue to extrapolate that out. And there's areas where, you know, a bunch of people can be wrong. There's that paradigms are flawed. But I was aware that I needed to sort of wage an information campaign, a PR campaign to truly be a wizard. Because if I said, I'm a wizard and I control the secrets of the universe and I'm the most powerful magician that's ever lived. And people are like, well, then why are you in the back of a cult bookstore talking to nobody like why are you on the subway shitting your pants and ranting like you're not a wizard you're a crazy person so I needed to convince people that I was a wizard so that when someone said he's not a wizard somebody else would go yes he fucking is 
I do wizard sessions. When people really want to work with me and they're at a crossroads and they're trying to figure out some issue in their life, I talk to them. I sit with someone one-on-one -on -one and I kind of map out where it seems like they are and where that issue is. And a lot of that is a combination of empathy and intuition of hearing things that they're emphasizing that they don't realize they're emphasizing. Um, if they are murky on something, getting them to write a list, like doing all these different exercises. And it's amazing what just that simple act of listening and a little bit of pushing can do, where you'll talk to someone and they're like, yeah, I don't know, I'm thinking about job A or job B. And like job A, like they're like, face turns down and they frown and they look so slumped and then job B, their face lights up. And then I just repeat that back to them. I'm like, did you realize when you said job B, this is what you look like? And they go, no, but yeah. And I'm like, fuck job A. Let's talk about job B. And they're like, yeah. And they just like, suddenly they have permission to like follow that thing. Cause it's really hard when you're like in the problem, it's really hard to decipher which way's up and how to, how to get out of it. You can't see it. So yeah, how do I want to talk about this? I was exposed to magic through chaos magic, and I pretty early on decided that if the whole idea of chaos magic is you gotta figure out what works for you and use your own imagination, then why should I spend all of my time memorizing the ideas that people, you know, not even in the ancient past, like in the 80s, came up with, and then argue over the details of like, you know, Peter Carroll versus Phil Hine, like who, whose system is better or like, I never cared about the inner workings of an egregore and debating all of that. I feel like words and concepts are a labyrinth and the deeper you go, it just gets more fractally and you can get lost. Like two metalheads fighting over the difference between thrash metal and Finnish thrash metal. Like, all right, whatever. So I had been doing magic on my own for a while and doing my own like loose rituals, you know, doing some sort of banishing and closing, but nothing that was so intense or prescriptive. And right before I moved away from Austin, I did DMT with some friends, which I think going back to that idea of existential dread, I, you know, was very much driven to like, I want to touch God and see what the universe is made out of. Let's do that. Some friends and I did this little ceremony and we smoked the DMT one at a time. I was the last one to go and I think I observed everyone doing it and I was able to like hold it in the most and really blast off. And they also left reality too. And I was like, oh, I definitely broke through. I left the room. I was in some weird melting Nickelodeon place. Like I did it. I did the thing. And then we came back and we closed the ritual out and then we went and got tacos. I did DMT. A few years later, when I'm in New York and I've become a wizard, a friend of mine had some DMT and we were making plans to do it. And he's like, can you do a little ceremony for us? I said, yeah, sure. So again, I, you know, I'm not trying to force anyone through a long, complicated belief system that's not to them. I'm trying to meet people where they're at. So I do this little pretty informal ceremony, but in the opening invocation, guided meditation, I talk about this idea of we're going to have one experience right now here in this room, but then there's another experience that's going to unfold over time. And 
what we experience today is going to blossom and grow in the days and weeks and months to come, in our dreams, in our stray thoughts. Again, I ended up drawing the short straw, so I was the last one to go, so it went around. And I think there might have just been, you know, that little bit of unsmoked DMT from everybody else's dose left at the bottom of the pipe. But for whatever reason, my experience was totally, totally different. Uh, I immediately felt this, like, release. Like, there was this, you know, background buzz that I'd heard my whole life and suddenly it was silent or there was this tension that suddenly was gone and it was just, oh, right, like this. And um, it's, it's so hard to, you know, describe the experience. So I don't really want to get lost in that. I, I eventually thought that this was something that was a global phenomenon that had happened. Like, I'd forgotten that I'd smoked DMT. That was totally irrelevant. And somewhere, someone had flipped a switch and caused the singular. And humanity had just changed consciousness. It was in an instant. The universe was in a different way. We were all united. And then, like, the pressure of, like, oh, my God, I'm thinking all of humanity's thoughts at once kind of folded in on itself, and I was stuck in fractals for a long time, and it was, you know, every other DMT story. And when I came out, it was very jarring. It was, you know, my friend, I think, said, you took a drug, <laughs> and now you're back. And I was like, what, what, what? And took a minute to calm down, and it was interesting, because I'd watched everyone else blast off, and everyone just hits the pipe, lays back, goes, whoa, whoa, holy shit, and then like five or ten minutes later comes back up, and they were telling me, they're like, you were clawing at the air, you were pulling on your beard, like, it was like 25 minutes, like, it was a different thing. I felt a little rattled, but we went to like a noise show afterwards, I was like back on it. It was fine, and then I went to work and went back to my normal life and for a week I was like oh I, I've seen the oneness of the universe I'm in touch with the flow this is great this is so cool I can look around and see everyone reflected in myself and myself reflected in them on the subway like this is really nice then after that first week it started just getting hairier I really started getting afraid that I was um gonna kind of fall like everyday normal consciousness felt very fragile to me and I felt like at any moment I could sort of slip back into that world of fractals and I had to ask myself well do I want to stick to the paradigm where like the more mainstream paradigm of this is a drug experience if that happened it would just be something you know spasming in my brain and everyone would just see me collapse onto the floor or is there truly an infinite multiverse and I could fall out of this reality and not know how to get back? And I really like this re reality. I, I've got a lot of invested here, you know? I really, I really enjoy the problems that I'm working on and uh, the things that I'm trying to do. And so that fear of psychedelic dissolution started becoming more like a panic attack. Like I would be talking to my coworkers or trying to have a conversation with someone and I would just be a little bit like in a movie when like a bomb goes off and like everything's silent and so I'm like trying to hold it together and I'm like, oh, the table feels like it's going sideways. This is not good. 
I just was really uh, having a hard time and my prophecy foretold it was coming to my dream. So I would have dreams where I was back in that state of ego, death, dissolution, and then I would wake up out of that like, <gasps> oh my God, what the fuck? I finally saw one of my friends who had actually been part of both ceremonies, a guy from Austin that moved to New York, and we chatted about it. And he was like, oh, you have also Googled DMT PTSD. I was like, yes, definitely. And we commiserated that uh, you get really shitty results when you Google that. You get a bunch of journalists that are talking about how ayahuasca is going to save everybody from depression and it's this cure-all. And I'm like, no, this, this has fucked me up. Like, this is really harsh and really intense and I don't have guidance I don't have a structure and I finally found like an academic paper that someone had written on psychedelic emergencies I think they called it but they were talking about how even some of their subjects were people that had done ayahuasca like 40 times and then had an experience that was really intense really different and left them totally shook up hard to go back to work like not really functioning maybe depressed maybe anxious just really kind of like shaken up and in the in the paper they were very explicit that there's often this idea of like well shamanism you know when you break open the head you get the call and then you you're the shaman and they said absolutely not like if you're in a culture that already has that framework great but if you're coming from a contemporary western culture you do not have that framework it does not apply to you you can't step across the boundaries to borrow it in a native way because it's not your actual cultural experience. You didn't grow up with this idea. There's not really a, a good set of options for people that have this. Like, there's limited guidance and it's hard to find people who are you know, trained therapists or psychedelic professionals that are able to guide you through this. But they found that most of the people that they had surveyed who had had these um, experiences, within a year or so, like got back together and sometimes and I think frequently there was that idea of um, post-traumatic growth where like they went through it and then it was it ended up like they're like okay <laughs> that was really gnarly but I, I got something from it at this time my mom was also fighting terminal cancer. I don't think it was like a one-to-one -one causative thing, but I think that having that in the background probably was a, a factor in it. It was unpleasant and it lasted for months. I finally read something about panic attacks where it talked about how you go from actually having a panic attack to you are so fr afraid of panic attacks that you have the fear of them as what you're actually suffering from. I said, you know what? For all of these moments of terror that I've had about out, like dissolving into fractals in the middle of like a work meeting, it hasn't happened. Like I, I, I haven't even had a moment where I've had to like run out of a room or like you know hyperventilate or like do anything crazy. So I said, I'm gonna just not worry about those when it happens. Like I'm gonna kind of let go of that. I did a little ritual around. Um, just kind of getting back on like a more even keel and uh, I was gonna have this big presentation at the end of a month, um, this like talk about wizards that I was doing with a friend that was this like big multimedia thing. And I was like, all right, I've got a bunch of work to do. Let's kind of put a ritual framework around it and did 
that and then a couple of days later I woke up from a dream and have you ever had those dreams like it's like you're sleeping in and like sleep feels so good and you're like ah, oh, I'm working something out like you know it doesn't make sense logically but you just feel you're like no it's so important for me to keep sleeping in like hit that snooze like these ideas are great and I woke up having that feeling and I was like alright I don't know what happened but like Something clicked in the dream last night. And then from that moment on, I was like, things started getting better. And I kind of came out of the, like, doom and fear. Because a lot of it, I think, was this idea of the dark side of cosmic apotheosis. We always talk about, mysticism always talks about oneness with God being such like, a beautiful, wonderful thing. Like, we are the universe. We're going to wake up. You are the universe. But I don't know. I'm pretty other-oriented. It's very lonely being everything. And I kept having these moments of like, if I smoked weed at all, I would like instantly go back to that space and I'm like, oh, I can sense the kind of end state of existence. Like post the singularity as every piece of matter in the knowable universe becomes aware of every other piece of information and it all folds in and basically the entire thing that is the universe realizes itself. And then that end state, what do you do? Like, heaven is a place where nothing happens. Like, there's nothing to be done. There's nothing new to do. There's no one else around. It is alone. And it's terrifying. And I know I like other people that are into mysticism. They're like, well, it's beyond that. I'm like, all right, all right. You know, maybe I got to the, the gate and I thought I was all the way there. Who knows? But I, it made me think of Super Mario World where you can like go through those star levels and you can get to like the side door to Bowser's castle and I was like oh I got to Bowser's castle and I was not ready for it like like the shortcut doesn't give you the tools to do anything so there's religions that are really focused on this world is an illusion it's about this other world that doesn't even look like this world or but religions that are like no it's the here and now that matters and that's kind of where I ended up on the other side of this whole experience was this idea of there's all of the people going up the mountain. You know, they want to go meet the guru. They want to go up the mountain. And then there's the person who's walking down and they're like, well, what did you learn? And he's like, yeah, there's good stuff at the bottom of the mountain. Like, you know, there's more to life than standing in line waiting to talk to the guru. There's riding bikes and kissing people and holding puppies and watching boring TV and waiting in line at the bank and all of these things are part of the beauty of existence and I think we forget that sometimes in this thank you for listening to Obscura I want to thank all of my Patreon members you have helped fund season 2 but we need more help consider joining to get access to Euphemet the original series brand new conversations and more and to follow us on social to watch short films find it all on euphemet.com Euphemet season 2 continues on October 31st with monthly editions following on the last Thursday of each month I'd like to thank CBS and Audio Boom for their support Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. Subscriptions and the reviewing really helps more eyes see Euphemet, and it's so appreciated. This has been Euphemet Obscura. I'm Jim Perry, and until next time, keep looking up. Keep looking up.